Well, we're coming to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is our last day, and I know for some of you that's a heartbreaker. It's your favorite book in the whole Bible. Many of you have told me that, and uh, you've been dreading coming to the end of it. And so I'm sorry, but the book only has 12 chapters, and so we have to come to an end. I was thinking back to um, September on our vision day for 2014-2015 vision day, and uh, on that day I read a uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. Our vision for this year is all in. And this quote from C.S. Lewis captures a little bit of what uh, we wanted to communicate with that vision. C.S. Lewis says, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of heaven, of the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven, he says, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. It's a great quote. Uh, And I want to acknowledge, though, how hard it is for us, living in the culture that we live in, to set our sights on heaven, to set our eyes on the eternal things. There are multiple forces that draw us away from what is lasting, from what is most important, from what is eternal. Some of those forces are, for example, consumerism. Yes, we're in the Bay Area. We like to say that we're not consumerists, but at the end of the day, I think if we reflect... Uh, we realize that we are drawn to consume like many of the people in our country. Um, We have this incredible uh, opportunity to provide for our own comfort, which is wrapped up into that. And so another force is comfort. Um, And and associated with that is this control. Uh, We, we, unlike any time in the history of the world, have control over our lives in a way that people never have. And so it's a great temptation for us to obsess and focus on control, to obsess about making our lives comfortable, making sure all of our needs are taken care of. And then we have the force of technology that continues to crowd in to our space and give us opportunities. And and we get addicted to our phones. We can't sit still. We want to just pull out that phone and see who might have texted or emailed us or who liked this that we posted on Facebook. And it just becomes all-consuming. And then there's activity. Uh, We're so busy with all the advances in technology, it was supposed to make us less busy, but it's just seemingly made us more busy because we're always on. We can schedule things at any time of the moment. We can be um, very meticulous about our schedule so there's not one wasted moment of any day. And then there's the force of fitting in what we sometimes call uh, the fear of man, that, that we want to be like the people around us. We want them to accept us. We want them to, to respect us. And so that force causes us to turn our gaze away from the eternal things and to put our gaze on the things that are not so important, that are fleeting, that are not so, that are not so lasting. So these cultural forces, they, they grab at our attentions day in and day out through our relationships with others, through the media. Uh, we're, just, we're just constantly being seduced by their allure. They're so attractive, and it, it causes us to take our eyes off the things that are eternal, to lose sight of what's lasting. So we chose the book of Ecclesiastes because the main theme in the book of Ecclesiastes is that we would get our sight on the things that are eternal. This whole phrase that's, that's at the core of the book of Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun, this idea of under the sun, which is repeated over and over again, is to say that, look, in this world, there's all these things that happen and they're not as important as what's eternal, what's above the sun, what's beyond the horizon, what's lasting, what's heavenly. 
Get your eyes on those things and let that shape the way that you live. So the teacher, who's the writer uh, uh, of the book of Ecclesiastes, talks about everything being vanity, uses that term over and over again. We define vanity as, as, as a mist. That's another way to translate that word. So if you think of yourself on a cold day, which we haven't experienced for a while, but try to imagine when we had cold days, and you would blow out your breath and it would just disappear. It comes out as a mist and then it disappears. That's what, that's what vanity, and he says our life is like that. He says all these, these things that we chase after, riches, for example, are vanity. They disappear. Toil, our toil is, is, is vain. It disappears. Honor that comes in this world is vanity. It disappears. Fun, even in this world, disappears. Possessions, worldly wisdom, and life itself, all of these things are, are like mists. They disappear. And so it is good for you to remember that and to get your eyes on the eternal things. That's what the teacher wants us to learn. And what are those eternal things? He lists them for us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been looking at it. Strangely, simple things like joy, having joy in this day for the things that God has given. Satisfaction in life's good things. That's what he says. Focus on being satisfied with the world that God has created and who he's made you to be and how he's placed you in this world. Enjoy it. See it in in the light of who God is as a good gift. That's the eternal thing. Those are the eternal things. Um, Gratitude. Um, Interestingly, food and drink. He talks over and over again about how food and drink are kind of a window into God's continual provision for us. And when we set our sights on God's continual provision, then our eyes are lifted to what really matters because we're seeing God behind the things of this life. Um, Joy in this day, satisfaction uh, in in your work, um, satisfaction in the wife of your youth or the husband of your youth, um, sticking with God uh, in the midst of prosperity or in the midst of adversity. All of these are ways to get your eyes onto the eternal things. And then lastly, remembering there is an impending death, that the life is short. Your life will be over before you know it. And those of us, you know, as, as the older you get, it seems like the faster time goes and, and it just seems to speed up and you realize it is going to be over soon. And so live with that sense of urgency. That's what the teacher wants us to know. And so we picked this book because we thought it would help us to lean in to the theme for this year, which is all in, that we would be all in with God, that we would, we would just be worshiping and our, li- our, our spiritual life would be vibrant. Because the upshot of getting your mind and your eyes on the eternal things is that it will make your spiritual life more vibrant. When we gather together to worship, there will be an enthusiasm and excitement because we will be remembering what it is that God has done. And we'll be gathering together and we'll be reading these, these lyrics that come and, 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 and it talks about how great Christ is and what he's done. And we're like, yes, I know that to be true because I've lived it this week. My eyes were on the eternal things. But it's not only that. It'll change the way that we sacrifice and serve for one another. One of the things that makes a church vibrant and alive is when people love each other and they're really sacrificing for each other. And when we have our eyes on eternal things, we're empowered to be more sacrificial in our love for one another because we're not afraid of losing things in this life because we know there's an eternity that goes on forever and ever and and that will outweigh much 
by, by far what we experience in this life. And so we don't have to hold on to things and, and we don't have to hold on to our time. We can be generous with ourselves towards others. So it changes the way that we serve. And when that happens in a church, sparks start to fly. People are serving one another. People see it from the outside and say, I want to be a part of that. It's amazing what goes on there. We grow more when we get our eyes on the eternal things. The things that really matter start to seep more deeply into our souls and it shapes the way we move through this world, the decisions we make, what we care about, what we spend our time on, how we live our lives. So we grow more when we get our gaze on the things that are eternal and off of just the temporal kinds of things. And then we're more bold in our evangelism. You know, we've been called to share this gospel that we have, this good news that we have with the world around us. And we live in a place where we're, we're a minority, right? So all the more opportunity for us to share the gospel. And when we have our minds on the eternal things, we remember that there is such a thing as a heaven and a hell, that, that people are perishing without Jesus Christ. And getting our minds on that, remembering that, helps uh, compel us to be more bold because we have this short life. And so we share the gospel with the people around us in the hopes that they will come to know Jesus Christ and find salvation in him. The upshot of our getting our eyes on the eternal things then is, is all of that. It's revival in the community of faith. That's what we're praying for and hoping for. That God would do a work in this church and in the churches around us to reveal himself and to, to move among us in, in powerful ways. We, we believe the gospel is that powerful and we're seeking for God to move in our midst and more glory to God happens and more blessing to people when we get our eyes on the eternal things. And the teacher now is, not, is done with us. He's, he's taught us uh, what he would in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we finish with this last sort of tagline at the end of it. And we're going to be sent off with, with a key exhortation for continuing the process of stripping away the temporal things and getting our eyes on what matters most, the eternal things. We're going to be given sort of the key, okay, I've taught you, he's saying, I've taught you what I can. Now we're sending you out. And here's what you need to remember to keep your eyes on what really matters. That's what we're looking at today. So if you'd open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, please, uh, we'd love for you to raise your hand and get a Bible. Really want you to be able to read the words on Scripture and even to be able to take notes in that Bible, take it home with you, um, take notes in your Bible. I want to encourage you, um, if I haven't done this for a while, to bring your Bibles to worship with you. Um, and if you use a phone, that's fine. I understand that. Some, but it's great if you can take notes on your phone, too. Just want to encourage you to bring your Bibles uh, with you to worship so that you can write down the, the things that we talk about. I was um, sort of thumbing back through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I thought, this is so great. From now on, when I read the book of Ecclesiastes, I've got notes all over, you know, from our series in here. And I can just always remember these notes. I've got them with me. And I would love for us all to have that blessing um, as we open our Bibles and, and read our Bibles. So Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9. Now, this book seems to have some sort of editor because the first line introduces the teacher and tells us who he is in, in chapter 1, verse 1. And then at the very end here, the section that we're reading is like a tagline from the editor of the book of Ecclesiastes, of, of the, the writings of the teacher. Um, and, and this tag has a purpose. It's first of all to commend the, teaching, the teachings of the teacher from Ecclesiastes to us, to say, listen to this guy. And then it's, it's to tell us, like I said, 
How can we keep sort of stripping away the attachments to worldly things and keeping our focus on what's eternal and what's lasting? So that, that's what he wants to do is send us off, not empty-handed, but with like, here's how you keep going in this process that you've started as you've been listening to the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, chapter uh, 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Now, they they are words of delight, and and I'm sad to be letting go of this book um, because so many of the phrases have stuck in my head. I love chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You know, just sort of choice morsels like that. Um, that just are so poignant. I always remember that one. It sticks out at me. And there's all kinds of sort of half-crazy statements that this teacher makes that are just, they're delightful. They're delightful, just like it says. They're delightful. A lot of people have found the book of Ecclesiastes to be pretty delightful. If you look through history, you see that many great writers and songwriters have gone to the book of Ecclesiastes. I was making a little bit of a list on how the book of Ecclesiastes factors into pop culture and, and, other, and just culture in general. Um, you know, John Grisham, uh, A Time to Kill, uh, the title comes from this. Um, Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises, the title of that book, famous, one of his, probably his most famous book, comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Edith Wharton. The House of Mirth comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Melville, Herman Melville was deeply devoted to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and it shaped uh, a lot of what he wrote. Um, Do you know the movie Gattaca starts with a quote from the book of Ecclesiastes? And Platoon starts with a quote from the book of Ecclesiastes. And then there's the Pete Seeger song, right? Turn, turn, turn. We all know that one. Um, and then uh, Dave Matthews Band has a, a Tripping Billies, which is a song, which is it's probably more after 1 Corinthians, but it does have some Ecclesiastes in it. Um, and then Stevie Wonder wrote a song called Ecclesiastes. So um, there you have it. Lots of delightful uh, texts from the book of Ecclesiastes have made their way into our culture. So the teacher spoke with delight, but he also speaks with truth. He's unafraid to say the hard things. So we get we get a, a, a verse like this in Ecclesiastes 6, 5. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the teacher likes to say things in delightful ways, but he also likes to kind of push where he needs to push. And he's been doing that throughout this book. It reminds me a little bit of Jesus in his grace and truth. You know, Jesus is so gracious, and yet he's so fully truthful and honest at the same time. And, and he comes to us in both of those, his grace and his truth. And it's a beautiful thing. And the teacher comes to us much in a similar way. All right, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. We'll, we'll come back to goads and nails uh, in a little bit. They are given by one shepherd. And, and most of your Bibles will have the word shepherd with a capital S there, which means it's a reference to God. And the reason it's a reference to God is because throughout the Old Testament, we see that term shepherd used to refer to God. Also because it has that, that, that marker, it's one shepherd. It's one shepherd. And so there's a, there's a clarity there. And then also, we just have to think logically that it wasn't normally the way of shepherds to write books of Proverbs. 
And so uh, probably he's referring to a specific shepherd here, which given the context of the Old Testament would be God. Verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. We don't want anything that doesn't come from God uh, as we look to wisdom to try to find wisdom. Of making many books, there is no end. We had a lot of students in the first service and they all started laughing when I read that. Um, I think many of them are burnt out from studying. Um, And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Right? You know that. Those of you who are students and those of you who are not students, you know that. Now, I think that he's not saying, I really hope he's not saying don't read books because I love to read books. Um, So I don't think he's saying that. But I think he's saying something like this. You know, by reading books, don't think that you're going to master life. You ever get that temptation? Oh, if I just read that book, I'd get everything figured out, right? Well, that's an endless process. So books are good, but don't think by the reading of them you will master life and figure everything out. There is weariness in that. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Now here it is, listen to this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We're talking about how do we continue to lift our gaze onto what's eternal? How do we continue to detach ourselves from the allure of the temporal things of this world that are not lasting? And the answer is, first, to fear God. That's what the teacher is telling us to fear God. Now, this phrase, fear God, is complex when we think of it on the other side as we live on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Because of Jesus, we don't have to fear the wrath of God, the condemnation of God. Jesus Christ went to the cross to take into himself the penalty of sin, to take the wrath of God which stands against sin to take it into himself so that those who would come to Jesus Christ in faith would not have to receive God's wrath. In other words, the the, the cross becomes almost like a shield. That's the propitiation is is that concept of, of God's wrath being shielded from us. And so his atoning sacrifice propitiates the wrath of God. It shields the wrath of God away from us. So we don't have to fear God in that sense. And in the book of Romans it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen, right? That's a beautiful thing that we've been shielded from the wrath. And if you're you're here this morning and you have not come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I, uh, you know, in light of what we're talking about, I I strongly urge and and recommend that you come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because, because that's how you get the wrath of God against sin turned away from you. So then verse 14, for somebody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, has a little bit of a different feel to it. It says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I I don't know exactly, and theologians debate what that looks like for the believer in heaven. What will judgment look like? But we do know it will be absent condemnation. That's what we know. And that's a beautiful thing. Can you imagine never being condemned for the rest of your life? No matter what, you're never condemned. What a beautiful thing that that is. And that's the gospel. But the gospel doesn't mean then that, and, and this idea that, you know, we have to fear the wrath of God. 
that doesn't mean that God has been emptied of his awesomeness. You see, that doesn't mean that God is no longer holy. Here's the thing. On the other side of the cross in the New Testament, people still fell on their knees when they were faced with God. When they came face to face with God, they were undone and they fell on their knees because of his awesomeness. Not just in the Old Testament before Jesus, but that was the case afterwards as well. Now, now they weren't fearing that his wrath would be poured out on them. It was just that he was so awesome and incredible that when they came in his presence, they were just, they just, nothing they could do but go to their knees and worship. Because God is awesome. Give you an example in Revelation 4. Revelation 4, verse 8 through 11. Now, there's actually a whole chapter talking about this approach to God and coming into contact with him. Let me jump right in as this imagery is being described. And we're not going to be able to unpack all the imagery, but you'll get the sense, the emotional sense that accompanies being in the presence of God. Verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. This is an image of heaven uh, at the end times in the presence of God. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So you see, just because we don't have to worry about the wrath of God being poured out on us doesn't mean that we are not awed by his holiness and his presence and that it shapes the way that we live. I, my, I remember thinking of my dad when I was younger and I knew my dad loved me, but he could also be a pretty intense guy. And, and there was a kind of a, a holy fear of him Even though I never doubted that he loved me, I also did not want to cross him and get on his bad side. Right? You know somebody like that in your life. You you know they love you, but you also have tremendous respect and a sense of even a little bit of awe around them and you're, you're humbled. That's what it means to recognize and perceive the holiness, the awesomeness of God on this side of the cross. His love for us is never in doubt. But that doesn't mean he isn't awesome. And to fear God then is to perceive him accurately. That's what it is. It's to perceive God accurately. Knowledge of the holy protects us. It keeps us from sin. You know, there are times when you might say, well, I'm going to go do this thing. And then you remember God in his awesomeness. And it, it motivates you not to do that thing that you were going to do. Recognizing the holiness of God protects us and it also helps us to become who God has called us to become. 
Because when we see, when we perceive God in his awesomeness, we are humbled. And it's good for us to be humbled. When we perceive him in his awesomeness, we are made small. When we perceive him in his awesomeness, we are made dependent. As we know, he has his, our lives in his hands. He's good, but he's powerful. And we become more malleable, more shapeable by God. And we become less fearful of this world. You see that? If you have an appropriate and accurate fear of God, you will be less fearful in this world. Because your fear will be placed in the right place. The one who really has the ultimate power. So to fear God is to perceive him accurately. And it's a blessing to fear the Lord. It helps us. And it's right and it's good and true. And I think sometimes we can forget that. And one of the key ways that we express this fear is the next part of what we're told in this last part of the book of Ecclesiastes. The way that we express this fear is to keep his commandments. See that? Fear God, how? By keeping his commandments. Fear God, keeping his commandments. Now, I'm going to talk about the commandments in a way that the wise sayings are talked about in verse 11. So, referring to them as goads and, and nails. Now, what's a goad? It says uh, in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. What's a goad? A goad is a stick that would be used to prod sheep to get them to go in the right direction. It was an instrument that was used for a short period of time creating pain for a long-term benefit. In other words, the sheep doesn't know where to go, and so the sheep is goaded, and the sheep feels pain momentarily. But because of that pain, the sheep goes in the right direction, which might mean that the sheep goes into the pen where it's going to be protected from wild animals. Or it might be that the sheep goes to the right field where it's going to find pasture and nourishment and water to drink. So the goad is a momentary painful thing that results in long-term benefit. And the words of the wise, the words of Scripture, are oftentimes like goads to us. We read them and they are harsh. They prick those spots in us that are sensitive. Where there's idols and sin. And the goad comes and it, it pushes in those areas. But that's good. Because the short-term pain results in a long-term benefit because God gets us to go in the right direction. So the words of Scripture are like goads. And I often ask myself as I'm reading Scripture, Andrew, do you want to learn the easy way or do you want to learn the hard way? Because you have an opportunity, right? We have an opportunity to learn the will of God by simply opening up a book and reading it. We can know what he wants us to do and what his commandments are. Or we can wait for God to teach us through life circumstances. It's our choice to some degree. That's oversimplification. But when we're reading scripture, um, we have a chance. I can learn it now or I can learn it later. I wish I chose to learn it now more, right? Maybe you do too. God in his goodness will always get us there. But we can choose to learn now by reading his scripture and allowing him to goad us through his word. 
as it comes to us. So the wise sayings are like goads, but it says also that they're like nails. And the kind of nails that are being talked about here in verse 11 are tent pegs. Tent pegs. Now, if you, if you, if you put out a tent and the wind comes, it'll blow away. So you've got to put pegs on the corners of it, right, to keep the tent held in place when the wind comes up. And I've had these, these times when we've been, we've been uh, camping, and I'll think to myself, eh, it's like 2 in the afternoon, we're putting up the tent, there's no wind or anything. I won't put the tent pegs in, uh, just an extra pain, I don't want to have to do that. But then we always say, well, no, we better do that. Put the tent pegs in, and then 4 or 5 o'clock, the wind starts to blow, right? And your tent's flopping around, and if you didn't have those tent pegs in, it would be moving around. The tent pegs are critical, and you don't know when the wind, you don't know what kind of weather is going to come, you don't know what's going to come next, and so it's important to put the tent pegs in because they're a form of protection for you. And the same thing is with the wise words of God, with God's commands. They are like those tent pegs which hold down his protective covering. And we may be tempted at times to just say, well, I don't really need that. I don't need to read my Bible today because, you know, and then the wind of life starts to blow and turns out we needed to have our life pegged, but it wasn't, right? So the, 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 the nails, the imagery of the nails, uh, this is, the commands are good. They protect us. But it's not enough then if we just know what they are. This is what this phrase, keeping his commands, that word keep is a very important word. It's not just about knowing what they are in our heads, but it's about actually getting them, allowing them to move those difficult 18 inches down into our hearts, right? So that the commands are, are, are known by us in the innermost part of our being. And then to, for those commands to move out from there to our hands. So it goes from our head to our hearts to our hands. That's a long journey. And that journey doesn't happen merely when you read it. You, we, we're, we're, at, we're called to, to absorb it, to let it get in to our souls. It's not enough just merely to read it. Now, one of the reasons that our church is structured in the way it is, we have what's called a lecture lab. Again, if you're in school, then that, that's depressing to you. Um, but think of, it's not like that, okay? If you're in school, it's different. Uh, but, uh, but it really is like that. Um, the way the lecture lab works is that on Sunday we get together and we study the scripture, scripture passage. And then we gather together in our home groups and we actually study the same passage. Why do we do that? We do that because we want the scripture to move from head to our hearts and then to our hands. And what happens so often is that we read it and then we move on to the next thing without applying it to our lives. But when we gather together in small groups and we start to ask the question, okay, what does this passage mean for me today in my life right now, given my circumstances, my personality, who I am, all of that, we start to ask that question, then the text can move deeper into our souls and then, Lord willing, out to our hands the way we act. And there's something about getting into a small group of people and taking this scripture and asking the question, how does it apply to you and you and you? And how can we be praying for you so that these scriptures can become real in your life? You see that? Because we don't want to know God's commands merely. We want to keep them. And those are two different things. You notice how when people get older, they often, a lot of solid, strong believers, when they get older, they read their Bible more rather than less. You ever notice that? 
Why is that? They, they've already been reading it. They should not have to read it anymore, right? No. Because it's not about knowing, it's about keeping. And for, in order to keep it, we have to be in front of it all the time. We have to have it into, you know, constantly being reminded of what God's commands are, what his promises are, what his truths are, so that they get deep into our soul and we can live them out. So let us not think, if the older people around us find that in order to keep God's commands, they have to read and study their Bibles more, let's not think that those of us who are on the younger end can get away with less, right? If we really want to be fearing God and keeping his commands. So the lecture lab is really important. We study the scripture on Sunday, and then we try to apply it to our lives during the week. But I need to say this. If all you do is rely on our lecture lab, the scripture you get on Sunday, and then applying it again in your home group later on during the week, if all you do is rely on that, you will not be getting enough of the word in your life. You won't be. It's not enough. It's not enough feeding. You don't eat on Sunday and Wednesday. Anybody eat on Sunday and Wednesday? No. No, we eat every day. And we need it every single day. And the Word of God is like that. And so I want to invite you, if you haven't been reading the Word every day, I want to invite you today as an expression of fearing God and keeping His commands, I want to invite you to read your Bibles every single day day. Matthew 4, 4, man does not, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what that tells me is that our relationship to the word of God is less like our relationship to our to-do list and more like our relationship to food and drink. See that? We, I think all of us have to make this paradigm shift at some point in life, because we think of Bible reading as something on our morning to-do list or our evening to-do list. But ultimately, our relationship to Scripture is not like that. It's more like our relationship to food and drink. When I first started cycling long distances, um, after about 50 miles or so, I would crash. I would bonk, they call it. You just run out of energy and you just can't go anymore. And so uh, I came back and I did some reading on the subject of riding longer distances. And, and what I read was that you needed to eat every half hour when you're going to go a long distance. And you need to drink every 15 minutes. I think it's actually even, even more frequently than every 15 minutes. You need to drink every 15 minutes. You need to eat a half of a cliff bar. It seems like a lot, doesn't it? Every half hour in order to keep going. So I put it into practice, and it was amazing, the transformation that happened. I was able to go these long, long distances, right? A lot of us are bonking in life because we are not feeding on the Word of God. We're crashing because we're not consuming the spiritual nourishment that we need through the study, the daily study of Scripture. And what happened is when I started to change the way I eight as I was riding, I had to have kind of a, a timer in my head, like every half hour would go off, okay, time to eat every half hour, and I was very rigid about it, and I, every 15 minutes or 10 minutes, I would drink, 
And it was like it had to be like an alarm going off to make sure I did it. Because you oftentimes don't feel like eating when you're riding, right? Just like life. We don't feel like reading the scripture because we're busy. There's other stuff going on. Some of us need that kind of, of template right now in life because we're not reading scripture regularly. We're not feeding regularly. And we need to have this, the, the, some sort of plan to help us to get the word in us on a daily basis. And so I want to invite you to make that kind of a plan. But what happened after a while is that I start, it started to become intuitive with me. I didn't have to have that plan anymore. I just knew at a certain point, if I don't eat right now, then I'm going to crash. I'm going to bonk. And, and that's where we ultimately need to go with the, with the word of God, is where we just know that if I don't get this word into me, I'm going to crash. Right? I need it. I need to be connected to the Lord. I need to be fed. I need to be nourished in the word. And if I don't, then I am going to crash. Eventually, what happens in our relationship with the Word is it starts to become like that, like food and drink. You're just hungry and thirsty. And you start to realize that you're hungry and thirsty, that you need spiritual nourishment. So that's the goal for us to get to that point where we're just, we're just hungering for it. When we have a free moment or we have free time, we don't think, well, Always, you know, and maybe sometimes we do, but, but we don't always go, what can, can I get on Facebook right now? And, and how, what can I do on Facebook? We think, well, how could I be refreshed by God's word? Let me pull out my Bible and study a little bit. God, what do you have to say to me right now? We teach a class uh, called, the, called Bible, and um, it's part of our Gospel Academy. We're going to run that class again. If you haven't taken it and you feel intimidated, you say, okay, pastor, I like what you're saying, but I just don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin. First of all, start bringing your Bible to church if you haven't been. Um, get a particular Bible that you can read and write notes in. If you can do that electronically, fine. But something that you can, something that you can remember what you've learned and go back to it. And then take this class when we offer it again. We, we, we talk about how to read the Bible. We talk about what the Bible overarching story is. We go through all this to make it more accessible to you so that you can be self-feeding, because that's what we want. So as we finish today, I'm going to leave you with this question. What will you do, leaving this place today, what will you do to soak more fully in the Word of God? Leaving this place today, going out back to your regular 9-to-5 life, what are you going to do this week to soak more fully in the Word of God? That's my question for you. Do you need to set a time? Do you need to get a partner? Do you need to start memorizing scripture? Do you need to, to, to get, you know, a, an MP3 version of the Bible that you can listen to in your car while you're commuting? Do you need to figure out a plan? Do you need to sign up for our daily bread, which is a service that's provided that helps you read your scripture? I'm, I'm doing it with my, my oldest son. Um, when we have a chance, we go through and read our daily bread. Now it's like online, super easy to get. You know, what do you need to do to soak more in God's word so that you can be nourished and strengthened for the life that's in front of you? Would you answer that? Lord, we want to live lives that, that understand you, that respond to this call to, to fear you in the appropriate way. We want to live lives that are 
in keeping with your commandments. We want to be freed from consumerism and to get our eyes off the things of this world that are not lasting. We want to be freed from, you know, the endless pursuit of more and more comfort. We want to be freed from control and and, and the grip of technology in our lives and and the endless activities and the the trying to fit in, the fear of man that, 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 that chases after us. We want to be freed from, from you know, making our children idols. We want to be freed from all these forces that draw us away from the eternal things. Many of them good things, but they're not eternal things. So help us to, to do that. And thank you for this lesson from the teacher. There's a simple way to get our eyes on the eternal things, and that is to feed on your word in Scripture daily. So help us. Help us to do that. Whatever plan we need to make, whatever strategy we need to put into place, whatever community we need to involve, whatever prayer we need to ask, pray, whatever it is, help us to bring your word more into the center part of our lives so that we can see you for who you are in your awesomeness, so that we can fear you, and so that we can keep your commands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.